Nightmarica is an independently produced podcast. If you like what we are doing, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts and showing us your support at patreon.com slash Aaron Sagers. Welcome to Nightmarica, a podcast that takes you on a tour of the abnormal, paranormal, weirdly true, and truly weird in every corner across this nation. Because whether it's ghosts, aliens, monsters, or monstrous humans, there's something strange in your neighborhood. Episode 53, Spook Lights, with author Colin Hudson. Ahoy hoy, Nightmaricans! As always, your host, Aaron Sagers here, journalist, researcher of the weird, and currently appearing on Paranormal Caught on Camera on Travel Channel and Discovery Plus. And let me tell you, let me tell you, I am excited by my guest for this episode. This gentleman, I, I forget the exact year, but years ago, we met at the Roswell Alien Festival, UFO Festival in Roswell, New Mexico, and have remained in touch. And he not only tells some very cool, creepy stories and has written a book about these things, he's also a heck of a nice guy. And his social media presence, I, I'm telling you, I'm always learning some new story or facts about weird tales and the paranormal through him. He is the author of the supernatural thriller, The Mound, as well as Strange State, Mysteries and Legends of Oklahoma, which is a nonfiction collection of strange but true tales from the Sooner State. Also, many of his meticulously researched stories that they've never been before reported, so they're very fresh tales, and others actually were rediscovered by him after having been forgotten for nearly a century. Also, his short story, The Iron Door, The Curse of Sierra uh, Humanos, I'm probably pronouncing mispronouncing that, was included in the 2005 Red Dirt Anthology. This gentleman enjoys traveling to paranormal locations. He's visited sites uh, in Central American pyramids and to mysterious Moroccan mountains. He's been to haunted Rowan, Ru Roman ruins and English castles. He's even been to Loch Ness. He's checked out Bigfoot's dark realm in the Pacific Northwest. And he's additionally lived in Puerto Rico for several years. He investigated the famous uh, Fortiana in Puerto Rico. He's checked out legends of the Chupacabra, the Mocha Vampire, ancient haunted fortresses already we're like we're like off the charts with awesome stories here so without further ado let me introduce our guest mr cullen hudson hey buddy how are you doing great doing great thank you for joining me today uh, like i said it's it's been years do you remember the exact year that we did connect at roswell that would have probably been around, I'm, I'm guessing, about 2013. That yeah. sounds about right. It's uh, it's actually been a couple of years since I have been to the Roswell UFO Festival. Have you been back? Do you still make your way out there? Um, I've not been actually to the festival since then. Uh, I do a lot of travel, as you rattled off. Uh, I love to see new places and anywhere I'm at, if there's a weird mysterious, funky, strange thing. 
I have to check it out. So it certainly seems like it. it certainly seems like you covered a lot of ground. And let me say, that was the last time that you went to the Roswell Festival. So apparently your interaction with me was so bad that you were like, I can never ever go back there. It was just, <laughs> you know, you were done. <laughs> well, you lucked out because you we were on that panel in Tulsa, Oklahoma a few years after that. Um, right. Yeah. With uh, Terry French. Um, yeah. So my apologies. I totally forgot about that. There's been like so many Comic Cons and honestly, so long since I've been at a Comic Con that that did slip my mind. But yeah, Tulsa is this incredible town that I think recently only people are starting to learn more about the history due to things like authors such as yourself, as well as shows like uh, Watchmen. I think like people are getting a little more of a rich appreciation for Tulsa's history. Would you, would, am I off, off uh, base or would you agree with that? No, no, you're completely on point. In fact, in, in addition to Watchmen, there was also um, Lovecraft Country, which touched on the Tulsa race riots as well. And that's, that whole topic is getting a, uh, second wind, as it were, um, in, in recent years. It, it's kind of a, a thing that was swept under the rug for the longest time. And so now it's it's gotten back into the news and people are really studying the history of the Tulsa race riots. I, I have to admit that I do think I'm a pretty good student of history most times, but I didn't learn about this, about the Tulsa race riots until it wasn't Watchmen, but it wasn't long before Watchmen that I had learned about that. So when I was in Tulsa and I was looking at the paranormal and exploring that, that realm, it didn't come up. And yet it does seem like something so tragic, such a, not even tragic, just horrendous, brutal, uh, you know, would have been something that I would have learned about in school. And yet it just wasn't really covered. Right. Shocking. Yeah. A lot of topics, um, I think are starting to come to light because of that, um, that it's somebody's finally lifting the rug up and we're having to sweep out from under it. So. Yeah. Well, a little bit about you. I mean, clearly you've been to a lot of places, you've explored a lot of different mysteries. Uh, what launched you on this path initially? What made you a, uh, also a researcher of the weird and the mysterious? Um, since Mother's Day just happened and I posted about this online, uh, I would blame my mom. <laughs> so, uh, uh, she's, she was a big influence there. Um, she's very, very much into the, the same kind of stuff. So I, I kind of oh, cool. grew, grew up with that. Um, and then some early personal experiences certainly fueled that, um, that fire. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I, uh, my mom as well, like I've always been into this stuff. But I do recall going to the bookstore a lot. My, my parents both were very supportive of my uh, voracious reading habit. But I do distinctly remember going to the bookstore. I think it was a used bookstore and picking up one of those time life mysteries of the unexplained, I believe. And even though I had read ghost stories before then, this thing really kind of rocked my world. I don't do you, do you remember those? Oh, I, beyond remember, I have. So um, I, I've got like a little library that one day, if dreams come true, I'm going to turn into a really big library. But in and among those volumes is um, several of those Reader's Digest books. Uh, yeah, I yeah, same. I um, 
I have to I have to be very selective about what I add to the library, considering the small spaces I tend to live in in, in Brooklyn and New York. But uh, yeah, my ultimate goal is to go on eBay and get the entire collection at some point. So in your travels, again, we you know Moroccan mountains, um, Central American pyramids. I feel like some of these adventures we've kind of moved on parallel paths because I've been on some of these uh, separately. Roman ruins, English castles, Loch Ness. Uh, Pacific Northwest. What's been the, your most? Um, let's let's break it down in two different ways. What's been the most sort of uh, satisfying and fulfilling from the Fortean standpoint versus just the place that you love traveling the most? Mm, okay, both those are tough. Uh, so I think in the Fortean sense, it would actually not be the big, exciting, sexy places. It would actually be the small little tucked away ramshackle place that nobody would think about because those were the places where something actually happened. I experienced something, there was something unexplained and that's a very cool experience to have. Um, so yeah, that, that, I would say that just little out of the way places that nobody's ever heard of just some old abandoned house. Um, I would say though, that going to do the key ceremony at um, the tower of London was a very cool experience because it's not, you can't just roll up, buy a ticket. Let's get in. Um, a friend of ours that lives in uh, London had to petition some council person to get a ticket it was this whole process and then they only allow like a few people in mm -hmm. each night so getting to see them shut down and lock up the tower of london every night in this ceremony really it's this pageantry and uh you've got these beef eater guys going down the darkened cobblestone streets uh with like lanterns and torches and it's basically remained unchanged for 800 years um that was a really special uh experience especially knowing the haunted and horrific history of the tower of london you're yeah. there at night all the lights are extinguished and the ghosts really come alive uh, so that that was a special experience as well um and so just favorite places honestly kind of the same anywhere in uh, Great Britain, Ireland, that sort of thing. Love it. I also love the um, Southwest. So any sort of haunted place I can check out out in the desert. Uh, I'm, I'm a sucker for that as well. Yeah. And I, 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 I very much appreciate what you said as far as th there's nothing quite like doing the big bucket list items and going to those locations. It's just incredibly satisfying. And when you're, if you're fortunate to do it, it's something that you take away. It's, it's a real life changing experience. However, I would agree that some of the crazier experiences have been the little, uh, off the, off the map kind of locations, the places where, they don't have a famous reputation. There's no, not a quote unquote paranormal hotspot, but incredibly weird crap takes place at some of these, these other spots is, do you think, is there any theory to that, that you might have as to why that might be the case? Yeah, I think because when you have a big, um, famous place, that's well known for its ghost stories. Um, 
there's probably a lot of story in those ghost stories. Um, I'm not saying that there's not real events that have happened over the years, but I think there's a lot of like, oh, you expect that big old creepy castle to be haunted. So mm -hmm. here come all the stories. Whereas if somebody usually has a real paranormal experience, they tend to be kind of floored by it. And yeah, they might go on later and say, oh my gosh, this is really creepy and blah, blah, blah. And it's just, I think it's, it's almost like a religious experience. Yeah. So I think it touches them on the inside and maybe they keep a bit of that to themselves and they don't, um, you know, just aggrandize it and turn it into this big sexy story. Uh, it's just this personal little moment like, oh, this one time we were at this little hotel, like five room hotel, nothing, nowhere. Um, and then they just kind of keep that to themselves in a sense. Um, yeah. And it, it seems like sometimes when you're not looking, you know, the watch pot uh, never boils. Sometimes when you're not looking for that thing, it finds you. And and even with some of the larger locations, I, I enjoy going to them. But I have found that there can be an oversaturation of energy from a lot of people there uh, that, you know, maybe it's sometimes just more about what they're bringing into the location instead of what's happening at the location itself. Agreed. I yeah. think, I think if you have too much psychic traffic as it were, um, I think that could actually kind of dispel um, any sort of activity from happening. So where are you in the belief spectrum? If on one hand we have sort of dogmatic totally certain that these things exist. And on the other hand, other side of that spectrum is non-believers, uh, total cynic. Where are you in on, on those two things? Is there a sliding scale in the middle that you kind of sit on? Uh, yeah. And that scale does slide. Uh, so yeah. I would say I'm, I'm, I, I lean more towards believer, but I'm still, firmly in that kind of skeptical center position and skeptic gets a bad rap as a term. I wish more people would Google what the word means. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm very much a skeptical person, but I've had experiences that I can't deny. And so that, that kind of pushes me towards the believer side, but I still don't know what those things were. I mean, I can, I can couch it in the terms of paranormal, you know, ghosts and, hauntings and stuff like that. But is that what it was? Uh, and so it's that that doubt, that curiosity that keeps me uh, interested in the, the topic and the conversation to find out more. My friend, you and I are so much on the same page with this stuff. It's, it's almost perfectly exactly where I'm at with it. That sliding scale of skepticism in a good way, asking questions and also being able to uh, debunk things, but acknowledging that there's potentially something more out there than what we currently define, whether you want to call it ghost, paranormal, uh, you know, Bigfoot, whatever, whatever it is, there's perhaps just something more going on. Well, with that said, I, I'm very excited to hear a story from you about the spook lights, but before we go any further, uh, we do do this little shtick on Nightmarica 
called Choose Your News. If you are up for this, very little work is really involved on your part. This is actually pretty easy from the guest standpoint. You don't have to do a whole lot. But you ready for this? Yeah. Okay. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Choose your news. All right, Colin, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read out two different headlines, and you're going to tell me what piques your interest, what scratches that paranormal itch, and which one you want to learn more about. All right, headline one. Paranormal TV crew detects human remains. State police investigate. That's headline one. Headline two. Florida woman says she spotted a baby dinosaur running through yard. All right. It's up to you. Choose your news. That's a tough one. Um, You know what? I'm going to go with the discovery of the bodies. All right. All right. Let's bring it up. Okay. This comes to us from Massachusetts. 22 news wwlp.com east bridgewater massachusetts the massachusetts state police conducted an investigation after a crew from a paranormal investigation television show detected human remains under the floor of an unfinished basement now this was published on may 10th 2021 so It's very fresh. And according to the Massachusetts State Police, members of the State Police Special Emergency Response Team, or CERT, excavated part of an unfinished basement of a three-story building after a cadaver dog and ground-penetrating sonar from a paranormal investigation team detected an anomaly underground. And then on April 29th, troopers from CERT went forward they and they excavated several feet down in the ground they found no human remains but they did find a large amount of groundwater water that was later determined by a private ground radar contractor that the flowing groundwater most likely caused the detection of human remains so maybe it's not exactly uh that they found a human remains, they just detected something that was interpreted as human remains. And I feel like that is just slightly misleading as a headline, definitely clickbaity. And uh, they even say, chalk it up as the ghost story that almost was boo. I don't, I don't actually, I don't like that headline. I felt very misled on that. That that's very misleading. I, yeah, I and they don't even say which paranormal TV show it was. Hmm. So but, you know, some of those TV shows can be misleading as well. They well, get you right before the break with some that, sort of you know bait <laughs> on the hook, and you're like ready for it, and then you come back from the break, and it's like, oh, yeah, that you're right. You're you're precisely right, and and I kind of wonder if the reason that they don't 
say which one it was is intentional because since it ended up not being anything, um, maybe the investigative TV show was like, hey, come check this out. Oh, okay. It wasn't anything. All right, cool. Our bad. Please don't use our network name and our show name. Uh, could be bad for business. But what is not bad for business is the story that you are going to tell. So we are going to talk about the spook lights. And before we get into the actual story, let's talk a little bit about the word spook itself. I feel like we have to address this this word itself. I, I love the word spooky, uh, and yet there's sort of a history to it. And uh, as I, I'm pretty certain we discussed it a little bit before we began, but you're you're familiar with this word and sort of the fraught history of it. Right. It it can be problematic in certain contexts. Uh, it's it's a word of Dutch origin, so it, it's long had a history of being about ghosts and things like that. But sometime in the 20th century, I believe it's the 20th century. I don't think this is anything that pushes back into the 19th century, it started to become associated with um, African-Americans in a negative context. Um, yeah, you're, you're, you're right on the money with this. It, as a word, we think of it as, well, Merriam-Webster says, relating to, resembling uh, ghosts or specters, but also the other word, uh, other meaning of it is undercover agent or spy. But it was around World War II that American soldiers started referring to their black counterparts as spooks. And these were the, the pilots of the Tuskegee, Tuskegee Airmen that uh, were referred to as spookwaffle or spookwaff, I guess, which means a weapon or gun. And then it grew from there to being a term as a racial slur and a um, having derogatory usage. And uh, so it continues. So now it's like kind of a tricky word. I know for me, I um, I love Ghostbusters. And I remember the line of like, you know, calling Dana's apartment spook central. And now I don't, I, I, I don't really think I could, use that that word in that that way it just feels like it's too loaded um yeah it's it's fraught but um it, when it's steeped in tradition uh, good and bad it's tough to avoid sometimes as well the most common name for the phenomenon that i am going to talk about is spook light but that's not the only name so if it's preferable People can call them ghost lights, mystery yeah. lights. Um, there's different different terms that can be used, but it could also be used as a launching off point for a conversation that, honestly, this country has a hard time talking about. Um, yeah, yeah, and again, I I agree. You're just you're, you're saying all the things I agree with, uh, and and I agree. Like this, in this case, the term spook lights has a very deep, rich tradition. It's existed for a long time. So, you know, we can call it, we can definitely, I think, feel comfortable calling it spook lights. It's just, I just wanted to address it. I will say that 
even today I was filming an episode of Paranormal Caught on camera and it came out of my mouth when I was referencing, you know, something spooky or spook central or whatever. And then I'm like, well, back it up. We got to not use it because in that context, it was not referring to a phenomena that has existed for a long time. And that was the name. It wasn't that case. So in that instance, I had to cut it. But in this instance, I think we can feel comfortable calling them the spook lights. And with that said, sir, I want to hear this tale. Lay it on me. Tell me about the spook lights. Sure. Um, well, the lights themselves are unknown. The, what they are, nobody knows, but their legends go back very far, and you can find them across the country, across the globe, and they are called different things. There's some famous ones here in the country, uh, the Brown Mountain Lights, um, which people may have heard of. Um, Marfa, Texas has the Marfa Lights. Those are another famous example. There's the Paulding Light in Michigan. Uh, there's one in Georgia. There's some in Colorado. They're just kind of everywhere. I grew up in in Florida, and the the one that I remember is the Oviedo lights. Oh was, yes, I think uh, I've heard yeah. of that one as well. Yeah. The um, but the, I'm going to concentrate on what I know. <laughs> sure. Which is um, an area in northeastern Oklahoma, into Kansas, into that little area of Missouri and kind of encompasses Arkansas as well, if you, how you draw it, but they call it the Spooksville Triangle. Okay. Uh, and it's really less of a triangle, but that's a familiar thing for people who are like, oh, Bermuda Triangle, Spooksville Triangle. Yes, so, triangles are scary. So yes, it's, it's yes. the scariest geometric shape. So yes, we, we just apply it to everything. I remember my high school geometry and it was very much scary and dreaded. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so the, the triangle area kind of runs from Miami, not Miami, Miami, Oklahoma, to uh, uh, Joplin, Missouri, and then kind of over into Kansas. Um, but in neighboring Arkansas, there's some similar lights as well. And in this region, there's a lot of these um, mysterious lights that just sort of show up. Um, you might be traveling down the road, and it might show up along the road uh in the woods off the side of the road you could be walking somewhere and they're just these orbs that just appear and then disappear but not in a flash they're usually around for a little bit and they'll kind of float around and i think stories of them probably go back to the 19th century when people began settling uh, places like oklahoma and missouri but um native americans of the area also have much older legends as well. Most of these have to do with ghost tales. Um, one of the older Native American legends is about uh, two lovers that leapt to their death, and that is the orbs that you now see. Um, but most of the the legends from settlers and early pioneers um, have to do with railroad accidents minor accidents. Um, there's always somebody losing their head and then they're out with a lantern at night looking for their head. That's pretty much, you find that almost exact same story with the, the Hornet spook light in Missouri. You find it uh, in the Dover light near Russellville, Arkansas, um, all completely separated by long drive. You have to take a couple hours or whatever to drive, um, but you 
you find the same exact story. Um, and Civil War soldiers is another one, uh, not surprisingly. Uh, somebody loses their head with a cannonball and poof, now their ghost is wandering around with a lantern um, looking for their, their head. And that's uh, kind of the folkloric tale behind a lot of these. Um, but the lights themselves seem to be a very real phenomenon that people are actually seeing. And then they're giving them these colorful legends to explain them. Um, and there's uh, probably, there's not a lot of stories that are written down about this, but there, there are a few and they kind of are spread out over the 20th century. I think it's one of the lesser known strange anomalies in the, in the world. You know, people go on about ghosts or UFOs or Bigfoot and call those the big three. Um, but this, this is kind of a different thing that um, could have scientific explanations, maybe not, but it does have great legends. Um, so plenty of stories if you want to hear those. Well, yeah. I mean, the what I find fascinating about this particular phenomena is that it is so frequently or has been so documented that it actually, uh, at least on the Joplin, Missouri official website, they talk about it. And now they, you know, we, we did talk about sort of the problematic application of the word spook now in the 20th century, but going back to 1836, they report that the uh, indigenous Americans on the Trail of Tears were reporting these Ozark spook lights at the time. Does that, is that accurate? Does that kind of mesh with your own research and what you have learned about these? Absolutely. Um, because it's, it's kind of that whole area there where those, um, where we draw the boundaries now, where those states meet, um, that whole region is just filled with stories about these lights. Um, and they do go back very far, both with, um, tribes that were forcibly removed and relocated, um, as well as legends from um, tribes that were in the region already. Nightmerica is brought to you by the Smell of Fear Candle Co. You guys know I am a nerd. You know this. But what you may not know is that I also like candles, and a good-smelling candle can bring a lot of character to the room. Well, Smell of Fear candles bring a lot of literary and film characters to a room. These scents are inspired by characters and settings from stories and history. For example, there is the Telltale Heart Candle from the Essence of Poe collection. Now that one smells like those infamous oak floorboards with just a hint of tobacco, which I imagine the narrator to be frantically consuming. Then there is the Gonna Need a Bigger Boat candle from the Cinematic Sense Collection. Jaws is one of my favorite movies, and this candle, I love it. It smells like salty sea air, the wood of an old fishing boat, and just a hint of whiskey, which I'm sure Quint was knocking back. There is the Sasquatch candle from the Cryptid Collection, 
And no, it doesn't smell like the stinky beast that we all know and love. Instead, the candle is inspired by the heavily forested areas in the Northwest that Bigfoot is said to roam, and it has hints of redwood, cedar, pine, and earth. Other collections include literary redolence, televised temptations, whiff of king, and there are more than 80 candles and counting. In fact, new candles are released monthly. Some of the newer releases are Welcome to Fright Night, for real. And that smells like the fresh fruit that Jerry Dandridge was always munching on in the movie. Well, when he wasn't munching on humans. There's also Icy Dead People, which is an icy blend of spearmint, eucalyptus, and mint. January's releases are a crucible-inspired creation and something from the Conjuring universe. Now, these candles are a coconut-soy blend with no paraffin. That means they are eco-friendly. They're organic, they're renewable, sustainable, with minimal environmental impact. They're also clean-burning, so there is almost zero soot in comparison to other types of wax candles. They're also slow-burning and have a fantastic scent throw. And they are not made with any nasty chemicals. These candles are available in several shapes and sizes, as well as in wax melts, which I really like. The Smell of Fear candles also do wholesale, custom, and a subscription box service that features every month's new releases. The candles can be purchased on Etsy and at thesmelloffear.com. And one final note, and I really like this, is just really cool, is Smell of Fear Candle Co. donates a portion of profits to various nonprofit organizations monthly. Past donations have gone to COVID relief funds, pet rescue organizations, and crisis services. So check them out. That's Smell of Fear Candle Co. on Etsy and the smelloffear.com. Now, you mentioned the young Native American couple uh, and that these might be their soul, their energy. What is the backstory to them, if you can tell me? I mean, why why were they so special that they became the spook lights? Was there any spe- a specific tragedy connected to them or any deeper legend or lore that we might know about these two lovers? Yeah, as I recall, with and with a lot of Native American tales, they tend to get anglicized as they're translated. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, it's real vague as to what what it is, but the, the legend I heard was that it was a typical Romeo and Juliet sort of situation where um, opposing fathers didn't want their children to get together and um, so they would rather just leave the world than have to live apart. Uh, and that sounds very European and very romantic. Yeah, um, That's not to dismiss that there could very well be an actual Native American legend um, that kind of follows the same uh, construct. I'm sure there's lots of parents who don't want their kids to get together. So that's, <laughs> that's probably not a foreign concept in the world. Uh, but it 
it also smacks of a bit of um you know uh, european um literature and yeah it's it is definitely that it's a trope i mean another another one that i personally have heard about with these is that and you mentioned that there's always a story of someone losing their head one of the ones that i had heard of is of a um a native american chief who is decapitated in the in the in this area and will search for his lost head and basically he is it, we see him holding a lantern high. Uh, you know, he's walking along with this lantern as he looks for his lost head. That alone, I mean, that's that, that's something of that also sounds very uh, European or anglicized. You know, it is sort of that application of the headless wanderer. Wanderer, uh, I assume that's one that you've heard of as well. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's like you said, it's a familiar trope, well-trod ground. Um, and I think it's the sort of thing that if you researched it, um, you could probably push that the bones of that story back to some folklore from Europe. Um, as, as they have with them, um, I don't know if you've ever heard any research about um, the vanishing hitchhiker and how that legend can basically the folklorists have been able to trace it eastward across the country and then across the the Atlantic to find the origins of that classic story that's just told everywhere. Yeah, and I mean we could go on a whole tangent about that. That that story, I, I think, I, I think perhaps we have this um, American centric uh, uh, approach or or possessiveness about the phantom hitchhiker but it's a, a tale and again you know of course we are a very automotive culture like that it does sort of make sense it fits perfectly within america especially you know the 1950s everybody taking the road hitting route 66 yet yet the story goes back before automobiles and uh, and some of my readings of it i don't claim to be an expert on this tale but it's it predates our our country correct yeah um now was back to the spook light we could talk all day about the phantom hitchhikers um the or the vanishing hitchhiker now okay let's kind of break down some of the explanations because uh, you know Going to uh, methane gas, natural gas. Like I think that's a typically the the go to in these in these cases as far as to debunk it. What are some of the other explanations? Well, there's certainly certainly that. I mean, swamp gas. The debunkers certainly love the swamp gas, and it is a plausible explanation in some places. Um, much of the area of the Spooksville Triangle is much wetter. Um, it's among the wettest parts of Oklahoma, it gets a lot of rainfall. Uh, there's a lot of lowlands with creeks cutting through it and rivers. Um, so you're going to get a lot of rotting vegetation and stagnant uh, areas where that sort of methane could spontaneously combust under the right ex circumstances. So that is one explanation. Others have posited radium, um, natural gas expulsions. Okay. Um, there's also a more fascinating one for me, which is the piezoelectric effect. Um, 
think of it like when you're a kid and you go in the dark room and you crunch on a wintergreen um, and it makes a blue spark in your mouth. Uh, it's kind of that. So pressure in the earth, uh, especially when you're dealing with things like uh, quartz, uh, will kind of give off electric discharge. Um, it's also known as like earthquake lights. Yeah. So people have often seen lights in the sky or around um, the epicenter of uh, tectonic activity earthquakes. Uh, for the longest time, it was kind of dismissed sort of like ball lightning as not being an actual phenomenon. It's just folklore. Um, but I think the there's much better science and research behind it now. And so earthquake earthquake lights tend to be considered a very real thing by, I think, a lot of scientists. Well, first off, you're bringing me back with the crunching of the, the mints in the dark. I definitely remember that. I haven't thought about that in years. So thank you for that little flashback moment. But as far as the earthquake lights, there is there is a fault line running through this part of this area, correct? Right. Um, there's probably several, I would imagine, one of the biggest and honestly scariest ones is the uh, New Madrid fault line in um, Missouri that's uh, kind of along the Mississippi River, if I recall. Uh, that one, which they say is one of those things, much like Yellowstone, should go any day now or whatever, uh, would be very devastating. Uh, the last time it um, there was a significant earthquake from the New Madrid fault, it caused considerable damage. Um, so, but the, yeah, and there's smaller little ones, people probably don't even know they exist, the sort of thing that you'd only notice if you were looking at seismic data or whatever, and there's some tiny little fracture or fault here or there. Um, so yeah, they, they riddle the whole United States and it might be interesting to see if there's correlation between those fault lines and sightings. I don't know if anyone's ever done that. Well, there... I, I've read that there were a series of earthquakes in the 18th century along this fault line. Do you think, I mean, this would sort of line up, with, it pre, seems like it predates these this phenomena being reported. Do you think there's something there? Do you think there's a correlation? Maybe these series of earthquakes in the 18th century actually unleashed, launched these spook lights or earthquake lights or whatever the phenomena is could be could very well be um given that people still see them to this day it's um most likely something that's continuing to happen um so that maybe there's small little tremors little pressure points in the earth's crust that release these every now and then and then they just kind of pop up like little fireflies and there has there ever been when when you have something that's like reported especially this long and by a lot of people did any any officials ever get involved in the exploration of these spook lights has there ever been a an official interest taken in these that you know of oh yeah absolutely um probably the first uh serious examination happened in um, 1929. There were just some curious people who investigated one of the um, spook light sightings that was going on in a place called Carden, uh, which Carden is interesting. It's close to another place called Pitcher, 
that are both in what's known as the Tar Creek Superfund site. Um, okay. Not exactly something you want to put on the brochure. No. But it's, it's basically an EPA toxic zone. Um, yeah. So, so for the longest time, there was a lot of um, lead and zinc mining in that area. And if you look at satellite views, you can see the destruction. But it left behind all these mountainous piles of chat, which is the leavings behind all the mining of the lead and zinc. And it's just kind of really toxic. So um, both places are pretty much ghost towns. I don't think anybody officially lives there anymore. Um, but um, back in 1929, they were still living and working there. And they started noticing that one of these lights was coinciding with the lighting of a, of a mill nearby. And they theorized that the, the mill light turned on, it reflected off of one of these chat piles and then got distorted by uh, rising ground vapors, you know, the sun is set and the swampy soil is kind of giving off all this water vapor and that's distorting this and making it look like this light is dancing around. Doesn't sound like the best explanation, but they gave it a shot. Yeah. And then in the 40s, you have the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers come in and they were investigating it, didn't really come with any solid conclusion. Uh, neither did um, a gentleman from the Bureau of Standards checked it out in like 1945, and he didn't have much of an explanation either, but he at least did have an experience. He encountered this um, five-foot kind of greenish-white, greenish-yellow orb that just sort of drifted towards him before dissipating suddenly. Wow. So a close so, encounter of the orb kind. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then there was a gentleman in the 50s who actually later went on to write a book called Identified Flying Saucers, which is a great resource for some 50s flying saucer data. Um, he had just moved there in 52 uh, to, because he was with the Air Force, he just moved there to go to some new base, he was stationed in a new base in the area. And he and his wife had heard about the uh, spook lights. So they're like, hey, let's go check this out. And they, park along this road that's famous for seeing spook lights on. And they just waited. And sure enough, uh, with I guess in an hour or two, however long they waited, um, there was this uh, light that showed up probably, he says, about like three blocks away from him. So a stretch, but it's a single little light that just sort of floated around, kind of drifted towards them, but then just sort of blinked out. Um, and he that really spurred on his interest in UFOs. And he went on to investigate the spook light more as well as UFOs. And he ended up submitting like this big report to the um, Air Force, uh, just documenting all his findings about it. But no Army Corps of Engineers, these researchers, nobody, th there's been no conclusive explanation. No. No, there's a guy in uh, 1969 from Southwest Missouri State University, uh, John Northrop, and he um, he kind of did a lot of research as well. And his conclusion was that, I mean, honestly, it's a swamp gas conclusion, yeah. uh, which, again, could be possible. But when you hear the stories about how they behave, uh, then it's, you know, either those are complete fabrications or maybe swamp gas is just a way to 
you know, brush it aside. So, eh, it's just that. Um, Weather and, balloon. Exactly, exactly. Um, because it does do some strange stuff. There's a, a story about a woman uh, from Joplin who um, she's a librarian, and she was driving home after um, a spook light hunt. So they went out to go find spook lights, didn't find any. But then driving home, that's when they they encounter one. It's a, she calls it about the size of a basketball. Uh, and then it just approached their car as they were driving and just kind of kept growing bigger and bigger and then just kind of popped like a balloon would and it just dissipated. Um, so, and there's another story about some spook lights that followed a busload of kids back from uh, uh, like a field trip or something like that one evening. Uh, and so it's, it's unusual that they would show up in the first place it gets more unusual when they behave strangely, like following cars or something like that. There's a, actually a story from the other end of the state um, from a guy, a rancher in the uh, early part of the 20th century. He encountered some while he was herding his cattle, and he kept trying to move out of their way, um, about the size of balloons, he called them. They were about 18 inches off the ground. So he'd move to the left, they would move to the left, he would move to the right, they would move to the right. Um, so it was like they were trying to block his um, movement. Yeah. So he took a shotgun and blew, you know, blew him away. And <laughs> they disappeared. That's, um, that's, that's what you do when you're a rancher, I guess. So Yeah, um, well, I mean, I think it's, a, it, it's perhaps a... Um a response that maybe a lot of people uh, across the country might decide to pursue. Just you see a problem and you shoot at it. Has there been, has there been any, I mean, this suggests, I mean, the the pursuit and the moving back and forth that suggests some sort of intelligence. Has there been any kind of physical sensation that people have reported if they are, getting close to this i mean this bus full of kids this spook light hunt uh, b- by the way i just love that there are spook light hunts i love that there are spook lighters out there but whenever someone gets too close to one is there some sort of sensation or feeling or or what occurs with their body i've never really found a lot of good information about that i think 9.9 times out of 10 you're looking at stories that talk about seeing the light over there. Um, maybe mm. it comes towards them, but it never really physically interacts. Um, I've seen one or two stories that talk about like uh, a static electricity kind of, you know, hair on your arm standing up. Um, that- kind of, it kind of tracks, it kind of makes, it, it kind of fits whether it's accurate or not. It kind of just fits that, um, that story, you know? Right. Right. And by and large, they don't ever actually interact with humans. Um, so I think that's that's part of the the allure that they're they're over there and they're elusive sure. and mysterious and maybe staying away. I think the closest to any sort of interaction would be back in the mid 50s. There was a ball of fire that was reported um, around uh, uh, that northeastern part of Oklahoma where it caused a traffic jam of cars. Okay. Uh, and I think that would be the closest to any sort of impact on humans. And it's 
probably just a situation where one of these lights was so prominent that people just stopped on the highway. Freaked out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and who can blame them if you see this thing that is just large, unexplained, you may not want to drive through it. Maybe it's better just to stop and let it do its thing. Well, before I let you go, first off, wait, okay. Have you seen spook lights? Okay, so I have a story about that. <laughs> Lay it on me, man. Okay, so back in 2018, um, it was October 31st, Halloween night. October 31st was 31 years since my grandfather died on October 31st. Um, so I went up to that area because um, my grandparents were from just kind of just past Oklahoma into um, that little corner of Missouri. And so I went to go to the gravesite and do all that stuff. <clears throat> but since I was up there, I was like, well, I should do a spook light hunt and couldn't get anybody to go with me. So I'm driving around close to midnight um, <laughs> with uh, nobody with me down these back dark roads that have no lights. Um, I mean, I've heard all these stories about the criminal backwoods goings on. And, you know, I have these <laughs> pictures. A little bit more head. real than just paranormal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, uh, what what am I getting into? But, you know, I'm driving around, not seeing anything. But I have my phone um, kind of up on the dash recording. Um, and later when I look back at the pictures, I didn't even notice this as I'm driving because I'm a conscientious driver. I'm paying attention to the road. Um, but one of the pictures has this weird sort of... Um, it's like this sort of like plasma orb looking thing. It seems to be discharging or something. It's got this weird tail to it. Um, and I don't know. I call it my spook light picture. I, it was not there in front of me. I mean, these were pitch black roads. The only thing lighting up was my, my headlights, and grass and trees on the other side of the road. Um, but there's this weird like yellowish green ball that just seems to be I love it. Yeah. Do you, do you, did you find any, uh, was there an emotional response when you saw it? Do you feel like, did it, did it connect you to um, your grandfather who had passed? Was there any kind of like personal significance for you? And there was actually, because um, I, right before I went on that little excursion, my mom told me that my grandfather did the same exact thing way back when it had to, it would have had to been like the early 30s or something he and some buddies got in the pickup truck or whatever and started driving around on a spook light hunt and so for that that to come full circle for me was kind of cool and then the synchronicity of the date and yeah how many years had passed it was just like it was almost like it was supposed to happen. That that's that's really wild. That's really cool and 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 quite special. And I'm going to ask if you feel comfortable, send that photo my way. We'll throw it up on the social uh, <laughs> for when the episode drops. Well, my friend, before I let you go, first off, how can people reach out to you, find you, and support your work? Um, well, you can find me on uh, Facebook and on. 
Instagram, using Instagram a lot these days. I have a blog, um, but I don't really tend to it anymore <laughs> because blogs. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram, Strange State OK, and um, also on uh, Facebook, but not on Facebook as much either. So really, if you want to see what, what I'm writing about or shooting up online, it's a lot of it's on there on Instagram. Excellent. Uh, well, and, and Colin, final question. I, I can't believe I forgot to ask this, but let's say uh, I head out to your part of the country and I want to check out the spook lights. What is the best time to go? Where is the best location to focus my energy? How do I become a, an amateur spook lighter, spook light hunter? Okay. <laughs> There's no real best time to go. It's just, it's a total crapshoot as to whether you will see something or not. Uh, some say summer months are better. I don't know if that's true or not, um, but some people do. Um, but yeah, the far Northeastern part of Oklahoma, if you're like between like Quapaw and the state line, uh, you're, you're pretty much uh, in, in the area. And then also spill over into Missouri. Um, and because it's the spook lights do not follow state lines. I mean, they're just going to be everywhere. Uh, <laughs> they, they follow their own path. They follow right, their own right. rules. They, they've got their own thing. Yeah. All right. And anyone out there, if you see a spook light, don't shoot it. Don't shoot at it. Just let it let it just continue about its path as a spook light. Maybe get out of the path, but don't shoot yeah. at it. Break for spook lights. Break for spook lights. I like that. We're going to put that up in the uh, the uh, merchandise category. <laughs> Let's sell some bumper stickers. Exactly. Uh, uh, Colin Hutton, uh, my friend, I'm so appreciative of your time. I had a heck of a good time talking to you. And as I said, you are constantly putting some great tales out there on the Strange State OK Instagram account. I found a lot of great inspiration myself. So you keep it up and my friend, you come back anytime you want. Will do. Thank you. All right. Thank you, sir. And uh, hey, I guess stay spooky. Thanks for listening. Please consider giving Nightmarica a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps raise awareness and boost the show's rankings. Also, give me a follow on social media at Nightmarica on Instagram and Facebook and at Aaron Sagers on Instagram and Twitter. And share Nightmarica with your friends. If you are able, I'd really appreciate your support on patreon.com slash Aaron Sagers, where I also create tiki recipes, hold live streams, and share exclusive content. If you'd like to share your own paranormal stories or get paranormal advice for entertainment purposes only, email nightmaricashow at gmail.com.